Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus today. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers on the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is NFL Monday, week six, a week that we thought was going to be pretty normal until the Cowboys and Patriots had that ridiculous thriller at the end, but then we got the result that we thought we were going to get with the Cowboys winning anyways, but it was still super fun at the very end of the day with a lot of normal NFL week in between, matchups that we kind of expected, all the chaos of the NFL kind of died down a bit. We'll get to all of that coming up, not just here, but also on our Memes of the Weekend podcast. And we kick things off with the Cardinals and the Browns, because that was the game of the week, except for the Chargers and Ravens, but that game was a blowout, so now Cardinals and Browns gets to be the game of the week in the NFL and the Cardinals don't have any fun theme music. The Browns do, but the Browns lost, so we, they don't get their fun theme music today. For the Cardinals, it's just, congrats, you're 6-0. and Congrats to Walter Mitchell and the boys over at the Revenge of the Birds page and the Red Rain pod. Of course, if you want deep Cardinals analysis from real Cardinals writers and fans, you should check out that pod with the link in the description to today's episode. It's under the tab titled Red Rain. Seems simple enough. Anyways, Arizona Cardinals beat up on the Cleveland Browns here on Sunday, and they are the final unbeaten left in the NFL. There's only, I think, three 5-1 and one teams, too. I, if I remember off the top of my head, you got Baltimore, Dallas, and Green Bay, I think, are the only 5-1 and one teams at this point, too. So, dominant performances by Arizona to remain undefeated and blowouts against the Rams on the road and blowouts against Cleveland on the road. It's been a hell of a start for the Arizona Cardinals. So let's start off talking about the Cardinals and we'll kind of like work our way down to the Browns. But Arizona's now 6-0 and and coming into the game, Arizona had a huge advantage in the pass rush. And This is their strong suit of the season. They've been really bad at stopping the run, which is kind of surprising, and it's 
the way that they might end up being caught, you know, with their pants down at some point later in the season by a team that's really good at running the football. And then you might look up and say, well, Cleveland's really good at running the football. What happened there? And the reason why I picked the Cardinals plus three and a half to win was for that same reason where, yes, Cleveland is the best team in the league at running the football, but they had no Nick Chubb, no Jedrick Wills, no Jack Conklin, Kareem Hunt got hurt partway through with what might be a torn Achilles, we're not sure yet, no Jarvis Landry, like they just had everything that made them great gone at that point, like Cleveland's one of these teams that's in jeopardy of being derailed by injuries, even though they're probably going to make the playoffs, assuming the Bengals are not better on paper than the Cleveland Browns, and we just all got that wrong at the start of the year, then Cleveland should be fine, but even still, the Browns found themselves without any of the pieces that made them great, which kind of left them vulnerable against Arizona. And Baker Mayfield comes out in 19 for 28, low completion percentage, completes a good number of his passes, has an interception, two fumbles for Baker Mayfield that end up being recovered by Arizona. Just forcing three turnovers is kind of the name of the game for Arizona, one of the best passing defenses in the NFL. If they force an exorbitant amount of turnovers, it's going to make everything that much better for the Cardinals, and they can be happy with the performance, even if you walk away feeling like, well, Cleveland wasn't the healthiest version of themselves. The fact that they forced three turnovers in the passing game, two fumbles of Mayfield in the pass, and the interception, name of the game. You force three turnovers and you limit your own, you're probably going to win a game, even though Kyler Murray fumbled the football four times in the game, which is kind of unbelievable when you think about it. But even still, Arizona ended up winning the game pretty handily that way. But even still, so Cleveland finds themselves pretty much the whole game just kind of stagnating on offense. Not that they weren't like moving the ball really well. It just felt like every time they started moving forward, Oh, Baker gets hurt on an injury. Baker throws an interception. Baker fumbles the football. They move the ball really well against Arizona, which teams against Arizona have done this year. It's just the big chunk plays sacks. Arizona's best in the league there. And interceptions, Arizona's pretty good at that, or at least forcing turnovers. They have a really good turnover margin. That's kind of the victory on the Arizona defensive side of the ball, which... To be honest, we probably could have all seen coming, I think just because the sour taste was left in our mouth last year of Arizona not making the playoffs and going 8-8, and and the fact that the Seahawks are really good, and the fact that the Rams are really good. I don't think many people went out on a limb and said the Cardinals were the best team in the division. If anything, they were hyping up the 49ers because of what they remember back in 2019 and saying, well, if I had to pick one team to finish last, I'd pick the Arizona Cardinals right now, and... I think we didn't really think that, oh, J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones and even guys like Marcus Golden and Buda Baker rushing the pass and Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins and Jordan Hicks, who has two sacks on the season. Like, I think we just kind of didn't want to acknowledge, oh, this Cardinals team is really good at rushing the passer. And they're really going to take advantage of some of these weaker offensive lines, which the Browns were because there was some dude I had never heard of starting at right tackle J.J. Watt beat him twice around the edge. He should have had a sack on one of them. Somehow, remarkably, J.J. Watt does not have a sack yet for the Arizona Cardinals, and he's still one of their most valuable defensive players so far this year. He did finally get that first sack in garbage time today, but he had like two swatted passes, one where he could have gotten credit for a half sack, 
J.J. Watt has been one of the better pass rushers in the league, which of course J.J. Watt has been one of the better pass rushers in the league. He's J.J. Watt. It's just that he's not, you know, the dominant force of yesteryear. But J.J. Watt got $15 million in the offseason for a reason. Like, he's still really freaking good. And then on the flip side, we have Arizona's offense. Because this is just, when you just have a plethora of weapons, they, they haven't even gotten Zach Ertz back. We didn't even get to talk about that because the Ertz trade happened after we left on Friday. Like, they had Daniels. I don't even know who Daniels is. Daryl Daniels. No idea who that is. Daryl Daniels, who had no targets, no catches. Daryl Daniels was their starting tight end. And they still just whooped up on the Cleveland Browns. And they only did it, by the way, like Kyler Murray had a lower passer rating than Baker Mayfield today. Like, I'm sorry, not lower passer rating. Kyler Murray had a lower completion percentage than Baker Mayfield today. Kyler Murray had a way better passer rating. He was in like the 120s because he had four touchdowns, no picks, and that'll always do good for you. So Kyler, 229 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Uh, And it's just DeAndre Hopkins, man. Like DeAndre Hopkins is someone we've forgotten about when we talk about the Cardinals because one game AJ Green's going to have 100 yards and two touchdowns and Christian Kirk's going to have 75 yards and a touchdown. Rondell Moore's going to make toe-tapping catches down the sidelines. Then one game Edmonds is going to have 80 yards receiving. Then Max Williams is going to have 200-yard receiving games and now they get Zach Ertz back. And Arizona has been unbelievable in just the sheer plethora of guys that DeAndre Hopkins all of a sudden gets lost in that rotation and then today he makes his presence known with two ridiculous touchdown catches and a third uh, first of all the first touchdown catch he just left a man in the dust just dusted one guy and then another guy at a certain point is just like what are you gonna do are you gonna try and bring down DeAndre Hopkins no He's going to just fight his way to the goal line. You're going to like try and trip him up with one hand, but it's not going to do anything because that's DeAndre freaking Hopkins. It was like just reminding me of why we used to think that dude was the best wide receiver in the NFL before Devontae Adams happened last year. And he still might be the most talented receiver in the NFL, but he only had three catches in the offense. And one of the things they talked about during the Cowboys Patriots broadcast with Tony Romo was that he was talking to Dak Prescott, and Dak's like, there's not a lot of ego here. Like, you know, I want to get it to everyone, but no one complains when they don't get the targets because this is a gigantic offense with, like, seven people who can score touchdowns. And if you had to guess someone who would be upset without the targets, it's DeAndre Hopkins. But even still, DeAndre Hopkins, like, when he gets targeted, makes a, I think more than anyone in the league, like, makes the most out of the opportunities that he's given. Like, Kyler Murray will make these other things happen because DeAndre Hopkins, at a certain point, requires a significant portion of the defensive effort. But when Hopkins does get the ball, like, I feel like his completion numbers are just ridiculously high. And part of that's Kyler Murray's a really good quarterback and DeAndre Hopkins doesn't drop a football and it's MVP of the league Kyler Murray and maybe the best wide receiver in the NFL, so maybe we shouldn't be surprised. But we take Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams for granted all the time. We don't do that as much with Kyla Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. It's usually like, oh my gosh, look at this amazing score by DeAndre Hopkins. Look at that amazing catch by DeAndre Hopkins. Wow, DeAndre Hopkins only has 27 yards. And that was the thing that people kind of complained about when he was playing with the Texans, is that he'd have like big games and then he would kind of vanish for a while. 
And by the way, DeAndre Hopkins doesn't practice with the Cardinals a lot of weeks. Like two days of the week, he ends up taking reps on the field. But even still, DeAndre Hopkins is awesome. He's amazing. And he reminded us again of that with just three catches, like three catches. And I'm walking away like MVP of the week. Two of them were for touchdowns. Yes. And pretty impressive on the first touchdown. Second one, he was just left wide open on a blown coverage. But Cardinals won by 23 and people kind of batted an eye. I'm like, everyone was betting against the Cardinals this week and they won by 23 points. Like the offense wasn't very good last week and they're kind of a ho-hum team because even though they're undefeated, nobody really thinks the Cardinals are the best team in the NFL. Yeah, they think Kyler Murray is an MVP, but don't really regard the Cardinals as the best team in the NFL. And we're ho-humming the fact that they put up like 23 against Cleveland. Yes, Cleveland that had a ridiculous amount of injuries, but still ho-humming the Cardinals at this point feels a little disingenuous from us just because they've been so quiet for so long. And Walter talked about over on Red Rain, like the Cardinals have the best offensive line he's seen in 25 years. And we still make jokes about the Cardinals offensive line every time Josh Jones gets called for a hold that takes back a touchdown. Like Arizona has been really good and it was really unexpected. Maybe not really unexpected. I think we all just didn't believe that the Seahawks weren't going to be good or that the 49ers weren't going to be good. The Rams have been really good. And the Rams still might be better than the Arizona Cardinals. But I think we just didn't really admit it at the time where we stood on Arizona. And they've kind of made us open our eyes a bit. Especially myself, who hosts a Cardinals podcast or produces a Cardinals podcast. Like, it's shocking to see it all play out for a team that I didn't think would be in this position at all. And I don't think many people did. Even though I said at the start of the year I'm not making predictions in the NFC West. I did think the Cardinals would be the team. That would have been lowest on my percentage chance of kicking ass in the NFC West. As for Cleveland, man, don't injuries suck? Injuries suck, man. Especially when you've got your best Cleveland team of the last 20 years. I know about this because I am literally a Padres fan. We had our best team in 20 years this past season. It got derailed by injuries. Don't, doesn't it hurt when you got like Kareem Hunt maybe having a torn Achilles and Nick Chubb missing the game and you're trying to limit Nick Chubb's touches but now you lose Kareem Hunt so you can't run the ball the same way you used to and you don't have Odell and then you don't have Jarvis then you don't have Odell again because he gets a shoulder injury and Baker's got a torn shoulder but not the throwing shoulder it's the other shoulder and then you lose Jedrick Wills and then you lose Jack Conklin, your right tackle, then you lose Jadavian Clowney last week, and we thought he was ruled out, but then he comes back, and Miles Garrett's battling injury, so he's not practicing. Injuries suck, man. Denzel Ward's battling injuries, too. Like, he got toasted by Hopkins on that one play, but even he's battling injuries at this point. It's just been ridiculous. It's been ridiculous how many injuries the Browns have had so far this year. Don't be discouraged, Browns fans. You got a Thursday game against uh, Denver. I'm picking you to win. I don't even know what the point spread is at this point. Five points for the Browns. Yep, I'm picking y'all to win that game. Like, good good luck to you, Cleveland. Don't feel discouraged at this point in the season. You guys are still 3-3, three and three, but you're the best 3-3 three and three team in the NFL. Well, second best 3-3 three and three team. I forgot the Chiefs are also 3-3 three and three at this point. So keep your head up, Cleveland Browns fans. I know that didn't sound very encouraging, but the bottom line, keep your heads up, Cleveland. Things are going to be probably okay.
So yeah, the Rams. How about it? Getting that big old victory in New York, New York this week. You go to the East Coast, you beat everyone up, and you get to put your backups in by the fourth quarter. At least the Rams got to put their backups in in the fourth quarter because the Giants decided to leave all of their starters in the game, even though they were down 38-11 to with five minutes left in the game. Still had Daniel Jones, still had whatever's left of that receiving core, still had Devontae Booker. Now that I think about it, actually, I think they just had to keep playing all their starters because they didn't have any backups on the bench anymore. Like, they were just out of players at this point, so they just had to keep playing everyone. I know we played the Rams song there, but this is a story about the New York Giants. Because the season's over now for the New York Giants. Like, week six, this is the moment where you can point to teams and be like, the season's over. For example, Miami Dolphins. Season's over. Nothing left to play for at this point. Detroit Lions. Season's over. Nothing left to play for. Yeah, you took those two heartbreaking losses, but when you get pummeled by the Cincinnati Bengals, which, by the way... Cincinnati, this is going to be a quick detour because this is one of the games we we're going to talk about here today. Cincinnati proved a lot to me today, not just because it was coming off of a week where they could have, should have, would have beat the Packers and the fact that they were 3-1 and one before that, but Cincinnati beat up on a terrible team, which is something they didn't do early on in the season. Jacksonville ended up keeping them close. They lost to the Chicago Bears, who I know their record is 3-3, three and three, but... If Cleveland and Kansas City are the, the best 3-3 three and three teams, Chicago is one of the worst 3-3 three and three teams in the NFL. They didn't do it. They lost to Chicago. They almost lost and should have lost to the Jaguars. They beat up a terrible team coming off of a week where they could have, should have, would have gotten a 4-1. and one. And that's the respect that I'm like, okay, the Bengals are, are a really good team. Like, that's something that, that good teams, especially in, in football, do is that you beat up the terrible teams. You don't just beat the terrible teams and maybe cover the spread. You dominate the terrible teams. And the Bengals did that, so maybe the Bengals are a playoff team after I kind of disrespected them last week or two weeks ago on the slump buster by saying that they were definitely not in playoff contention with a playoff matchup between the Packers and the Bengals. So maybe the Bengals are a playoff team. Took me a little bit to come around. I will at least acknowledge it is a possibility that the Bengals make the playoffs at this point. So, back to the Giants. Season's over at this point. So, if you want to fire Joe Judge, and you want to fire Dave Gettleman, I could understand doing it right now. Like, doing it today. Which technically could be yesterday, because you could have fired him after the game. But... I could see you doing it today or tomorrow. Like I the the next game the Giants play is at home against Carolina. You want to put Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman, but more specifically Joe Judge out in front of that crowd? Cuz there's no chance Joe Judge is keeping his job. At this point, it, it's it's a laughing stock at this point. Like Joe Judge is going to get fired at the end of the season. If he's not fired, and Gettleman stays around, it, it just doesn't make any sense at that point. It's like, okay, you're not trying to actively improve the team. You're just doing it for cheap moves or whatever else the reasons might be, like personal connections, or you're just a really poorly run organization. Like, just 
unbelievably poorly run organization if you don't fire Gettleman and Joe Judge at the end of this season, which we kind of already knew they were a poorly run organization. But this is like (laughs) even Daniel Snyder eventually fired Bruce Allen after a terrible season. Like, the the Giants have been through, like, five consecutive terrible seasons. And yes, last year they were one game away from making the playoffs because the NFC East was just godforsakenly bad. But the Giants have been the worst team in the NFL across the last five years. Perpetual mediocrity for a decade. They celebrated the Super Bowl champion team at halftime of this game. That team was a decade ago. A decade ago was the Super Bowl 46 Giants team. They've been a laughing stock ever since, and we've been laughing right along with them because at a certain point, Giants fans did this to themselves. They got Ben McAdoo fired for being right that Eli was washed. They didn't take a quarterback in 2017 or 2018 that coulda, shoulda, woulda been Josh Allen. Maybe it woulda been Sam Darnold. Who knows? But it coulda, shoulda, woulda been Josh Allen. Instead, they take Saquon Barkley. Then they take Daniel Jones. Then they draft Andrew Thomas. Then they draft DeAndre Baker, who ends up getting cut after a year. Then they trade Odell Beckham for Jabril Peppers and Dexter Lawrence, which turned out okay because of the cap move, but didn't really produce very much afterwards. The Giants have been a total laughingstock. Dave Gettleman's been a laughingstock. This is not a new thing. So at this point, now that the season's officially done, I could, I, I could understand firing them at any point here. And just going through the Giants' schedule real quick. So week seven, they have the Panthers. And then they play at Kansas City on a Monday night. Then week nine, they play home against the Raiders. So any of those weeks except the one where you head to Kansas City. So after this week, after the Panthers game, or after the Raiders game, I could see you moving on from any of those guys because the season's officially over now. And this is where coaches get fired early in the season is when you know the season is over and you know the coach is going to get fired and you know the general manager is going to get fired. Some people just decide to move swiftly instead of waiting. Lions did it with Patricia last year. Falcons did it with Dan Quinn last year. Texans did it with Bill O'Brien last year. Once you know the season is over, you have permission to fire your coach and your GM if that's the path you're going to take. Now, the, the Giants need to fire both. And I at this point forward, they should have free reign to do it. That's my conclusion at this point. And I would I would not, if I were running the Giants at this point, if you inserted me in, one, Dave Gettleman wouldn't have been employed this year. And he wouldn't have been able to make that choice to trade down instead of drafting Justin Fields. And drafting Kadarius Tony, who looked like he was doing all right. We dedicated a good portion of the podcast last week to Kadarius Tony, but now he's injured again. I wouldn't have let Gettleman be there in the first place. But if you're putting me in right now, in the, the moment of J- John Mara's decision making, the Mara family decision making, you have permission at this point forward to fire those guys. Maybe it's like a Gase thing where they keep him around all the way to the end of the season, even though they already know they're a laughing stock. And that might be something they choose to do. But at this point, you're not saving anything by firing Joe Judge. At the very least, if you think there's someone who could step up and be a interim coach or interim GM who could be the full-time job, do it. Let the interim guy you know, make trades at the deadline. Don't let Gettleman make your trades at the deadline. 
There's no chance either of them are going to keep their jobs, and now that the season is officially over for the Giants, you have permission to trade. Trade everyone. Because yes, they're 1-5, and and the Cowboys are 5-1, and but they should be 0-6, because they overcame a 17-point deficit against the Saints. They should be the worst team in the NFL. And this is like a clear-the-house situation for New York, and all I'm saying at this point, you have permission to go ahead and make the moves. I would have done it after the Rams game because you've already built in a loss, and it was a bad loss. Giants fans left and booed the team off. You, you've been given permission at this point to, to make the move. And this is not like a McAdoo thing where like the fans drove off Ben McAdoo for being right. Like Judge is just a laughingstock at this point because he's one of these rah-rah coaches who their mental edge is going to be toughness. We're going to out-tough you. We're going to run laps. We're going to play Daniel Jones at the end of games because Daniel Jones' time in New York is over. The only thing that was going to save him was making the playoffs. And he's done. Or at the very least, they're going to bring in a Teddy Bridgewater type to take over for him. He's done. But that's something you don't move until the end of the season unless someone's going to like really over-offer Daniel Jones at the trade deadline and you want to just tank for a top pick. But Gettleman and Judge... You could you can make the move now, Giants. And maybe you do it after the Panthers, maybe you do it after the Raiders, but you've been gifted this this loss. Like if you lose a close game against the Panthers, or you win against the Panthers, well you're not gonna fire them, and maybe you'll beat the Raiders at a certain point. And maybe you want to wait till Thanksgiving, like the the Lions did with Patricia. I would go ahead and do it now, just because you wanna just punt on this season, figure out what you have. The next 11 weeks should be an evaluation period, not a let's try and turn this ship around. No, ship is sunk, man. Season's done. This should be like an evaluation period of who are we going to keep around as we try and fumigate the organization from the past decade of perpetual mediocrity that the Giants have been. is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams is not good as far as this weekend as far as training camp we will see there's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers camp and and that's I don't want to be here it's an annual tradition like no other the Green Bay Packers beating the Chicago Bears in heartbreaking fashion Bears fans knew it was coming it happens every year it's been happening every year for 15 years and it hit him again like a brick. And this time it was Aaron Rodgers doing it in a way that was just excellent because afterwards he started screaming, I own you, I still own you. And he does. Aaron Rodgers is 22-5 and against the Chicago Bears. The Bears' defense did so great in stopping the pass. They turned Aaron Rodgers into a game manager that was just going to run the football, which, by the way, that felt like an antithesis of the Bears' defense I was used to. 
Like if there was one moment over week six that I found myself reevaluating what I previously knew, it was the Chicago Bears defense. Not that the Bears defense isn't good. Like I think they're ranked ninth in DVOA right now. It's just that the Chicago Bears defense has always been really good at stopping the run and generating a pass rush, but not in stopping the pass. This time it was just let's pick them apart in the running game. And this was Aaron Jones's finest performance of the year. Aaron Rodgers did just enough at the end, including a pass where the protection broke down and he ended up scrambling for a touchdown because there was nothing really around in terms of like quarterback spying Aaron Rodgers. And so it was a great finish for the Green Bay Packers. Um, just to correct myself from before, the Chicago Bears currently have the fifth-ranked defense according to DVOA. This was updated earlier from last week, so it doesn't count this game yet towards the DVOA rankings. But fifth-ranked defense in the NFL for the Chicago Bears at this point, and uh, they've been really good so far at containing the run. Uh, it's been a great start to the season. F- I'm sorry, at containing the pass. Chicago has, I mean, given like Khalil Mack obviously is still there, like it's still a force up front and Akeem Hicks is hanging around a little bit left, but the offense is just not there. And (laughs) this is the part that I talked about last year. And it's still the case because you can switch Justin Fields for Mitchell Trubisky, but if their numbers are comparable and their skill sets are relatively similar, then the same principle applies. If you're not going to be able to generate offense with the pass, you got to be able to generate offense on the ground. And the Bears did a little bit of that today, but it was with Khalil Herbert. Khalil Herbert's not a super threat on the ground, but he did have 100 yards and a touchdown. And 100 yards and a touchdown is solid running back performance. So if Chicago's going to score points, they're going to have to move the ball that way. And Green Bay's a good team to do it against, too. Like, they got 100 and a touchdown, which is like, yay, 100 and a touchdown. That's like a top 10 performance for the week, maybe. Like, you had a good job as a running back. You did it against one of the worst rushing defenses in the league. It starts to look less promising, especially given that Chicago, with David Montgomery, was one of the better rushing teams in the NFL post-week 12 of last year. So, Chicago just, I mean, Justin Fields, what did he finish? 75 passer rating wonder it I feel like Trubisky might have a higher passer rating than Justin Fields at this point in terms of last year so Justin Fields is sitting at yeah Justin Fields sitting at 67.4 at this point Trubisky had to be higher than him Mitchell Trubisky stats doing this on the fly right now uh yeah, Mitchell Trubisky had a 93.5. That could actually be a meme here. Yeah, Mitchell Trubisky's playing significantly better than Justin Fields is at this point. So the same principle applies. Why? Because it's literally the exact same Bears team as last year, except you've just replaced Mitchell Trubisky with Justin Fields, and it's stunting that development. And unfortunately, unlike the Giants, season's not over yet if you're Chicago. If they had ended up pulling out that win today against Green Bay, which they were covering the spread through most of the game, they end up pulling out that win. They're four and two, and you can trick yourself into thinking you can make the playoffs because the Bears have just enough talent on defense and an offense that occasionally generates enough yards with the run. So at this point, Nagy and Pace are going to get to keep their jobs for a little bit. But don't be fooled, NFL fans, and don't be fooled, Chicago Bears fans, because Bears still suck. The Bears still suck. 
bear still suck. They really, 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 really suck. Yes, the bears still suck. All the ladies now. Lamar Jackson's a crazy person. I would like to conclude this. There was one point in the second quarter of the Ravens and Chargers game where if you go back to the point where the Colts were up 22-3 to on the Baltimore Ravens on Monday, right around the time when John Gruden was fired and nobody was watching said Monday night football game, Lamar Jackson... From that point until about the second quarter against the Chargers, 27 for 30, 90% completion percentage, 440 yards, 6 touchdowns, no interceptions. Unbelievable how good Lamar Jackson has been this year. Still somehow behind Kyler Murray in the MVP race, but still Lamar Jackson has been a man on a mission. And then it all fell apart for Lamar Jackson. After that moment, it all started to fall apart because he finished the game on Sunday. If I remember correctly, I think it was like 8 for 16 for 60 yards, two picks, no touchdowns. Like It all fell apart after that, but it didn't matter because the Chargers went for it on fourth down at their own 19-yard line. So that was just easy cash money touchdown for Le'Veon Bell. Like it was a it was a big old victory for the Ravens and the Ravens running game, which ended up with hundred and let's see, wow, a lot of running, a lot of rushing yards for the Ravens. Six different people in double figures rushing yards. So let's see, Baltimore finished with a hundred and eighty nine rushing yards on forty some odd attempts. It's pretty much the Ravens' M.O. They're going to run the ball 60% of the time. They scored a lot of points off of it. Chargers kind of gave that game away for the most part, but that's a credit to Baltimore's defense, which is always sneaky good. And sometimes I'm afraid when I say Baltimore has a good defense that Baltimore doesn't actually have a good defense. But now I feel convinced Baltimore does indeed actually have a good defense that held the Chargers to 26 rushing yards. Yes, they only did it on 12 attempts because they were just trying to come from behind the entire game, and Brandon Staley just said, Justin Herbert, you're going to throw the ball 40 times. We're barely going to hold the ball, but since we're down 14 literally the entire game, we're just going to only throw with Justin Herbert, even if it's on our own 19-yard line on fourth down because Brandon Staley is uh, taking the Lane Kiffin mantra to a new model that uh, punting is for cowards, and it is. I just didn't think it would go to that level of an extreme with the fact that punting is indeed for cowards. Great job by the Chargers. I love that people are going for it on their own 19-yard line now. Even if the math doesn't support it, I would still do it because you have Justin Herbert. Uh, Mike Williams disappointed me in fantasy this week, unfortunately, but still, Chargers 
rough week. Ravens kick ass. Still made four minutes of content out of that game, which I thought was going to be the game we opened up the week with, but there wasn't that much after like a minute into that game, or I'm sorry, a quarter into that game that was super interesting. It was a lot of bad football and just killing clock after that, which was kind of the whole thing about the witching hour, which we'll get to coming up later on on the Memes of the Weekend podcast. Uh, I'm getting tired of defending Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. And in uh, so remember last week how we went to bed before the end of the Bills Chiefs game? Well, it only got worse after we went to bed. And after that, you had another game this week where the Chiefs turned the ball over three times a fumble, interception through Tyree Kill's hands. Apparently, now we're going after Patrick Mahomes' mom, too. And, uh, we're still going after Jackson Mahomes, which he danced on the Sean Taylor emblem, which, you know, connotates the idea of dancing on someone's grave, which, okay, if we're going to make that leap, but it's being used to be equally hateful in what was probably a weird coincidence with Jackson Mahomes. We're using it to be even more hateful towards Jackson Mahomes, which the irony behind it is, it, it is incredible to watch the irony of yeah, maybe that was a mistake of making it seem like you're dancing on Sean Taylor's grave. Let's you be even more hateful towards Jackson Mahomes. It's a great idea there. But even still, we're going after Patrick Mahomes' mom now. Uh, and so Mahomes walks away from that game with two interceptions, an average QBR, and also 400 passing yards, two touchdowns. Uh, they had two more rushing touchdowns along with it, and 31 points because the Chiefs literally score 31 points in their sleep as long as you don't play one of the best defenses in the NFL that figures out the game plan of we're just going to take away the top on Kansas City and force some turnovers. So this is a weird like storyline that goes along as I'm watching this game because in one moment, the ball goes through Tyreek Hill's hands and gets intercepted. And I'm like, ah, they're letting down Mahomes again and that's going to go on his interception number. I just, ugh. And then... uh I forgot which one of the big tight ends it was, but they fumble the football after a catch and it gets picked up by Washington. And uh, actually it was Meikle Hardman. It wasn't one of the tight ends. It was apparently Meikle Hardman. But they fumbled the ball, recovered by Washington. I'm just like, God, this team, this team just keeps turning the ball over. And it's not even Mahomes' fault. Like I know he had the bad game against the Chargers, the Bills did pretty well in the second half against him because the Bills are a really good defense. But the third one, the third one, that's the one where you can start to panic a bit. You can start to feel a little insecure about yourself. Not that they're going to lose the game. They're playing Washington. Like Washington, even against Kansas City's terrible defense, that still can't stop Taylor Heineke from having a 70 QBR. Just no matter what defense they're going to play, Taylor Heineke's going to have a 70 QBR. Antonio Gibson can't run. They couldn't even get to 100 rushing yards. Like, Washington's offense is just as bad as Kansas City's defense is. So, not even they could find a way to score 17 points against the worst defense in the NFL. Well, I guess they got 30 against the Falcons, but still. So, Kansas City ends up having the third rough game of the season and then the third interception so going back so you have the interception through Hill's hands fumble by Hardman I'm disappointed in the Chiefs team and then I watch Mahomes fumble a snap fall to the ground and just fling the football in the air immediately to a a Washington defender 
And if you haven't seen the video, go Google Patrick Mahomes interception and find the wacky play of him like just flinging the ball after fumbling it. And there's no one in the area. He just like didn't want to take the sack and he gave it immediately to Washington. And that's one where I just in my chair, I'm like, oh, no. There's no way I can defend this one. There's no way that's anyone but Mahomes' fault. And he's got eight interceptions now in the season. I'm getting tired of defending them that way. I, I've Nothing's changed. They're a beatable team that's probably still the AFC favorites. Probably should be 5-1, and one, but they're 4-2. and two. I'm sorry, they're 3-3 three and because three, Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumbled that football and they still probably should have beat the Chargers. Like, they're beatable. That's fine. The Chiefs are beatable this year. Last year, they were just an overwhelming super team that we all knew was going to the championship and did exactly that. Even though Mahomes got hurt in the playoffs and the Browns made it scary, just ran through everybody the entire season. They're probably still the best team in the AFC, but any of those teams that have already beat them, whether it's the Chargers, the Ravens, you could argue the Browns, even though they lost, and as we talked about earlier, everyone's hurt, Buffalo, Any of those teams can beat the Chiefs in the playoffs. But if you had to name me one team that I think is going to go to the Super Bowl, Kansas City number one, Buffalo 1B, Baltimore 1C, everyone else filter in afterwards. All this means this year is that the Chiefs aren't overwhelming favorites. Are they Super Bowl contenders? Absolutely. And nothing has changed from these past few weeks other than Mahomes throwing a lot of interceptions while also on pace to throw, I believe, 50 touchdowns this year. Which is a little cheap because it's 17 games, but still 50 touchdowns, despite the fact that he's also on pace to throw like 17 interceptions, which just means his QBR is not going to be as high, but he's still top 10 right now. I don't mean to sound defensive about any of this. It's just everyone is going a little too far on the Kansas City Chiefs thing. And it's all going to look very silly come a couple months from now when the Chiefs have won seven of eight games. All right, Dallas Cowboys, five and one. Big old victory for you guys against the Patriots in the most amazing finish. We talked about Trayvon Diggs on Stripe Hype Thursday this week. I don't think there's a better embodiment of Trayvon Diggs than how that one ended, where he gets a pick six and then gives up a 76-yard touchdown immediately after. Leads the league in yards allowed, but also has seven interceptions this year. I mean, we talked about it for like 15 minutes on Thursday, so you should check that out. Or you could just watch the videos of those two plays that just sum up Trayvon Diggs and the Cowboys' defensive experience. And as someone who had to spot-start Cowboys' defense on their fantasy team this week, I got the full gauntlet of emotions going through the end of that one. But we got an overtime game. Cowboys ended up winning because the Patriots defense only had so much in the tank where they could limit Dak Prescott and also Dak Prescott kind of got stripped of a touchdown there at the end. It was a classic Cowboys game, at least the Cowboys games that we're used to where both teams are going to score in the 30s. Someone's going to win on a weird like coin toss type of game and uh, the Cowboys should have had, I think the Cowboys did score 30, but both teams should have scored in the 30s. But Dak Prescott had a touchdown taken away. We all thought Dallas was going to win. I think it only would have been like higher up on the totem pole of things to talk about if the Cowboys ended up losing that game because they should have had the win and it would have been swiped them. By the way, to respond to that, 
Dak Prescott threw the ball 51 times and still had a 108 QBR, which is unbelievable because usually when it gets to be that high, you throw an interception here and there or you make a mistake here or there. Nah, Dak Prescott was awesome. Completed over 70% of his passes, even though he threw it 51 times. That man is really good at playing football. And uh, I think it'll. I think if, because the Cowboys were winning all the way through, and it wasn't a super interesting game all the way through. Like it got interesting at the end, and it turned into a chaos game. But I think because the result ended up being the same, there wasn't that much extra to go into depth about. For the Patriots, you guys are a pretty good team, average. Just a year away, maybe or maybe not. Maybe this is the beginning of everything falling off the table. But two and four, and they probably should be a little bit better at this point. Mac Jones showed me a little something at the end. And by the way, Mac Jones was just told you're not allowed to pass to start the game. He was 10 for 10. And then only when it got into desperation mode did they finally open up the offense. And he went 5 for 11 with an interception and the 170-plus yard touchdown on the missed route by Diggs that's going to help boost your QBR a bit. But Mac Jones did fine. The Patriots didn't hold the ball very much, so we didn't really get that much of an opportunity to see it, which is... Like the antithesis of Belichick, right? He's like, we're going to dominate time of possession when we have an undersized offense. But their offense just isn't good enough to do that. Their offense isn't good enough to do 13 play drives that end in touchdowns. They did have one of them against the Cowboys defense, which, as we've talked about before, they're a top 15 defense that might be masking a bottom 10 talent because of all the turnovers. But the, the, the Patriots' offense just isn't good enough to dominate time of possession when you're going up against the Dallas Cowboys or any of these top 5 to 10 offenses in the league. So, tough break there. Finally, the Jaguars won a game. The Jaguars won a game. We probably should have talked about this one earlier on in the pod, but on a football Sunday, the London game kind of fades to the background, especially when you have two just crap teams. Like, Jaguars' season was over when Urban Meyer uh, had his encounter at his own restaurant and bar. Like, that was the that was the end of the Jaguars. Why did I call it an encounter? When Urban Meyer grinded up on a woman at his own restaurant and bar when the team was 0-4. Like, that was the end of the Jaguars' season. Now the Jaguars just ended Miami's season because there's nothing left to play for if you're Miami. I stay in the same place I was a week ago about the whole like ready to fire people. Like I just don't know what firing Andrew Barry and Brian Flores accomplishes. Like, yeah, you can reset everything, but wouldn't that involve moving on from Tua? Wouldn't that involve trading pieces on that defense? Wouldn't it involve being literally in the same place you were three years ago? Like, I get that you probably messed up on all the draft picks, but is it? Like, I don't think it accomplishes anything if you fire everyone. Maybe you can get away with it and just reset the books and you don't get your draft pick this year, and you can be terrible like the Eagles or terrible like the Dolphins, but you're not going to be able to find another Brian Flores. It's not like Brian Flores is super remarkable as a head coach. You're just not going to—no one's going to want that job after Flores gets fired. Nobody wants that team at this point, so you're going to have to hire a Joe Judge or a Nick Sirianni or a David Culley to fill in because nobody wants that job if you fire Flores. So I don't know what firing the coach or the GM accomplishes in this case if you're the Dolphins. You just kind of got to ride it out and figure out if you can turn this ship around even though the season's over at this point. 
um, and just hope that the Tua experiment isn't dead in the water because Tua might not be done. The Dolphins' season is done. Like They're going to finish the season in December or January or whenever the regular season ends and not make the playoffs. But the Tua experiment isn't dead yet. Like He played pretty well against the Jaguars. We just haven't seen a large enough sample size to know exactly what he's going to be. We know he's probably never going to be Herbert, but we still haven't seen a large enough sample size to know exactly what it is Tua is going to be. And that's fine also. Like We know Baker Mayfield is never going to be Josh Allen, and that's fine. But Baker Mayfield can still be a quarterback you want to extend and make your franchise guy for a decade. We just don't know where Tua is yet. So I guess the next part of this is, one, figure out who your offensive coordinator is, because the Dolphins have two offensive coordinators, and we don't know which one is calling the plays at any given moment. And two, Tua. Figure out what it is. Across these next 11 games, figure out what it is that you got with Tua. And maybe you can't do that because your offensive line is shit. Just try and figure out what you got left in the tank. That should be the mission for the rest of the season for the Miami Dolphins. And Sunday Night Football. Seahawks and Steelers. At the time of recording, it's 14-0 Pittsburgh over Seattle. Uh, Geno Smith, oh boy, Geno Smith, 68 QBR, which is exactly where Justin Fields has sat all season. And uh, Big Ben has done just enough. Najee Harris has 13 carries for 28 yards. It's so sad. So sad. I just want to get this out of the way because I don't want to talk about Seahawks and Pittsburgh anymore. I just, I don't want to talk about Seahawks and Pittsburgh. So uh, if you if you want to hear the other games here, we're going to laugh at some of them over on the Memes of the Weekend pod, our five little things of the week, our fun story. We're going to talk about the rest of these games coming up here on the Memes of the Weekend podcast, which is available right above this episode on your Take It Easy podcast feed. Make sure to download, leave those five-star reviews, and give us that follow. Uh, thanks for stopping in everybody. This is a fun football Monday. Even if, like I said, there wasn't really a chaos result or anything too dramatic that happened until the Cowboys and Patriots game just made everyone go cuckoo, but even still great weekend of football. And, uh, we look forward to the rest of the week's podcasts. Talk to you again soon. As always, take it easy.